Hello, and welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge Television, brought to you by our good friends at Ditchwitch. Bass Edge Television is available on the World Fishing Network beginning this month, and we'll be back on Versus Country in January with Season 3. Bass Edge can also be seen in Canada throughout the year on Wild TV. I'm Steve Brigman, and I'm joined by Bass Edge host Aaron Martin, and we have a great show lined up for you today. We'll be speaking with FLW Series Pro Jimmy Mason about deep cranking. We'll also be visiting with servicemen from Iraq and Army Bass Angler Major Cody Robertson. Plus, we'll announce the most recent prize winner and a whole lot more right here on The Edge. You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Brought to you in part by Ditch Witches On. Experience the revolution. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that song gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Well, it's good to be back on the edge, Aaron. It's been a while. Yeah, I think about three months to my last count, Steve. You know, I, I think Dan, though, he's he's out enjoying uh, the holiday weekend, so uh, hope he's getting some rest and relaxation, uh, probably much deserved. Yeah, you think maybe Dan has a rod and, rod and reel in his hand yeah. as we speak? I, I, could, I would feel safe in saying yes, yeah, knowing Dan, <laughs> absolutely. So. It's been a while since I've been on the edge with you, but uh, we've uh, had no shortage of each other's company uh, no, in the last couple of months. That's for sure. You know, we've been traveling uh, all over, uh, obviously doing a lot of a lot of filming for uh, upcoming season three, as well as several several promotional events. But uh, you know, it's all been good and it's all fun, and uh, got to meet a lot of great people. But we'll be heading out again here soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just a uh, matter of fact, in another week, uh, we'll be heading up. Uh, up to the northern parts and you know the great thing about that is steve not only is the fishing great but the humidity is going to be a little bit lower too <laughs> well it can't be any worse than it was in louisiana but uh no, but uh we did have a good time down there with uh, denny brower a week my goodness i better get busy I, I got a lot to do before i leave exactly you better get to packing you know so uh but hey did you happen to get the the memo from uh, bob lusk on on the upcoming uh Pond Boss Seminar that they're doing down in Arlington, Texas? I, I sure did. Bob puts on an amazing program down there, and, you know, you look at the list of folks on there, and it's just, uh, that's going to be a great program. Oh, yeah. All very, very well-respected within in the industry. You know, Mike Otto, of course, Bob Lust, Dale Hall, even Ray Scott. You know, and, and looking at some of the topics that they're covering, you know, feeding huge fish, great expectations and consequences, symptoms and solutions to head off potential problems of your pond, water quality, stocking for the best, you know, fourth and fifth year of a bass lake. All those things are, are great topics, regardless if you are thinking about building a pond, have a pond, or really no interest in building a pond. You know, the way I see that is that's a huge educational opportunity as anglers. Well, sure it is. I mean, you just, you learn a lot about fish when you talk about building a, a fishery, and uh, that should be a program. be a lot of value to any angler. Well, and, you know, we've had Bob on here, not only on the podcast, but also on the television show numerous times. The man is a wealth of information, so I know anything that he puts on is going to be just first class, going to be well worth your time. And I think uh, what I saw was July 11th and 12th, 
in Arlington, Texas. Uh, it is, and I'm just, you know, we're heading up north, so we're not going to be able to make it. And next year, I, I definitely want to try to make Bob's event. That's fantastic. And I really recommend folks get out to Arlington to do that. No question. And if you need additional information, I, I know the memo that we received was uh, just go to pondboss.com, and certainly all the information will be on there. Kind of shifting gears, too, then, on the uh, Collegiate Bass Anglers Association. I think they had a big event last week. Well, they just had their Big 12 championship, and uh, and the Sooners won on their home lake there in, in Eufaula, and uh, I'm just amazed at the bags these young men catch. Oh, I know, and, you know, if, if you don't think the learning curve has gotten uh, a lot steeper through organizations such as the Collegiate Bass Angling Association, you better look twice, because if, if you look at how this took place and, and some of the weights, like you said, that were brought in, how they consistently went out and were able to catch fish in high water conditions, you know, because the Midwest, I know, on Lake follow that 104,000-acre eastern Oklahoma impoundment, had a lot of water the last time that you and I crossed that thing and looked like, uh, basically, like you were fishing in a mud puddle. <laughs> that looks like a needle in a haystack like to me, <laughs> but the, uh, the young uh, men and women just did a fantastic job, and the Sooners claimed the Big 12 championship. You think there was any competition between OU and, uh, and State there? I think there was a little bit, <laughs> and I tell you what, the State kids did fantastic, and they would have come in second place, except they did lose a fish in the line well and had the only fatality of the tournament and lost it by less than a half a pound and the half a pound penalty pushed them from second into third and uh, the young folks from Texas Tech came in second place. You know and just to throw out a couple quick kudos uh, out to those who were less fortunate and did not get to participate but Kansas and Texas A&M you know just due to the skyrocketing fuel costs and then also you know the Iowa team could not come because of the floods that they received there but also then I uh, want to throw a thanks out to Legend Boats because they stepped up with a newly developed Colorado team and helped them out uh, in providing the boats. So uh, great job out to them, and, um, you know, best of luck on the next one. Well, absolutely. Well, Aaron, we need to take a break, and on the other side, we'll look forward to you visiting with Jimmy Mason. Absolutely. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge, brought to you in part by Ditch Witches Zon, establishing a new standard in trencher power and versatility. All right, we are back on The Edge, and joining us today is FLW Series Pro and BASS Southern Opens Pro, Jimmy Mason. Jimmy, thanks so much uh, for being part of The Edge. Hey, Aaron. Glad to be here. So what have you been up to lately, Jimmy? Well, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm just getting my, my boat back on the trailer where I spent the day fishing Pickwick Lake. <laughs> oh, you dog. <laughs> well, were they biting? <laughs> Absolutely. This is an awesome time down here. I love the summertime uh, fishing on the Tennessee River. Deep thorn, deep crankbait. It, it's hard to beat. Yeah. Now, are you guys experiencing some high water like other parts of the country, say in the Midwest and some things like that, or is, is the water, you know, the pool level pretty normal? Actually, we're about a foot below pool, uh, and, and we've got a really good current, so that's making the deep structure fishing really good right now. Well, you know, you, you brought about kind of the idea of something there that you've done today, and that is on the topic of deep cranking. And, you know, mm-hmm. when you think of summertime, traditionally, you, you kind of think of more deeper structure, deeper techniques of, of targeting 
you know, the bass. Now, deep obviously is a little bit of a relative term, but can you kind of set us up for what you mean by kind of the deep cranking? You're right. Deep is relative, and it's relative to each body of water. A lot depends on the clarity of the water, you know, in that specific lake. Tennessee River, which is my home, the, the Gunnersville, Wilson, Wheeler, Pickwick Lake, what I consider deep is uh, when my boat is sitting deeper than 15. And, uh, you know, on Pickwick, a lot of the structure will top out at 12 to 15, and, and you'll be sitting in anywhere from, from 18 to 25 off of that structure. So generally this time of the year, I'm looking for uh, stuff averages topping out around 15 foot. Now, when you say topping out, are we referring to, let's say, pole timber, brush piles, rocks, all of the above? Actually, the structure, the bottom contour, I'm looking for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm generally keying in on creek channels and river channels that, that the ledge will be topping out at around the 12 to 15 foot mark. So then, basically, is it, is it a pretty steady drop off, pretty steep? I like to look for the steeper drops. I sure do. Something generally more than a 45 uh, but definitely more than 45, usually in that 60 to, to 90 degree range of a drop-off. So really, I mean, let's say, for instance, you're you're talking specifically to what you did today, like with Pickwick, but, you know, you can get, let's say, in some of the western reservoirs or some of the northern ones, you know, to where 15 feet might be actually considered shallow fishing. It, it has more to do with, let's say, the, the steepness of the, of the drop-off. It does. You know, uh, like I said earlier, I think one of the biggest things that kind of, regulate what depth you start looking on, on a specific body of water is how clear it is. I know uh, in the past when I have fished on, you know, lakes in uh, the mid the Midwest regions like Table Rock and, you know, Lake of the Ozarks is a little dirty, but specifically Table Rock, you know, I've generally started looking on the breaks that are deeper than 20 or 20 to 25 this time of the year because, it's, you know, it's definitely clear and the fish seem to, to pull out a little bit deeper than they do here. And I think the water clarity and and also the amount of current has a big play and has shallow they set up on top of the, of the structure. So current does come into play whenever you're talking about deep fishing just like shallow fishing. Absolutely, it does. You know, it's what's ringing the dinner bell uh, more than anything. When that, when that water starts moving on these man-weighed reservoirs, that really gets the fish grouped up on the on the structure and, and gets them feeding. So transitioning kind of more or less into areas that, let's say, for anglers who perhaps might not have been to a, a particular body of water and they want to get out there and try, you know, some of this deep offshore structure, in this case specific to deep cranking, where are normally the high percentage areas that, that you would send them to look for? You know, you're, you're going to be keen on the river channel uh, or the, the major creek channel is, is a great place to start. Uh, look at those, you know, any irregularities where you've got a bend in a channel. Uh, generally, where you have a bend in a, in a channel over the years, uh, there's going to be a high spot form you know, downstream from that bend where the current will wash a lot of the sediment out of that bend and form a little high spot. Uh, another thing you want to look for is you want to look for any kind of intersections uh, with, to that channel, be it a creek intersection, you know, a little small ditch. Something that's going to cause the current flow to be broken or changed uh, is what you want to look for in relation to that creek channel or the river channel. One of the best things you can use to do that is a Navionics chip for your electronics. Uh, that, you know, will have the map and the contours showing on your on your GPS screen. It shows your boat in relation to, to those contours, and that really helps to narrow your search and, and to make it a lot faster. So perhaps, you know, you were talking about some of the points that this these could even be considered like underwater points, like when you talked about the intersection of a creek in the main channel. Yep. A lot yep. of this stuff is below the water. It is. 90% of the stuff that I crank this time of the year is all underwater.
you know, today I probably didn't fish closer to it than 100 yards to the bank. Uh, and you're having to use your electronics for your eyes. Sure. Well, and, and do you find that a lot of times that those fish are less pressured? Absolutely. Those fish, for the most part, you know, at, for a lot of people it's kind of intimidating when they get away from the bank and, and uh, are fishing what they can't see. But you can almost, one of my favorite things I like to do to kind of help myself visualize it is when I'm deer hunting in the wintertime, I'll, you know, imagine what the area that I'm, that I'm hunting would look like flooded. And that really helps me, you know, later in the year when I'm trying to picture what's underwater as well. And, uh, and like I said, your maps on your electronics really helps you see how your boat is sitting in relation to the to the contours. And I'm, I'm a big believer in using markers where you can actually visually see, you like know, where you markers? are in relation. Yeah, marker buoys. Mm-hmm. You know, I will nearly always drop one out when I when I get my boat set up on a, on a piece of structure. Well, and, and I think that's that's key because a lot of times, let's say, for instance, if you're setting a ways off the bank, you've got a little wind current it's hard to tell you if you don't have a real uh, close visual marker to tell how far you're drifting or keeping your head buried you know a lot of times you have to be moving for your your uh, gps and that to track uh you can drift off that in a hurry and be completely out of the strike zone you sure can uh, much more than you realize so so putting I, I will put out a marker to uh, to mark my boat on, on what I consider the ideal position on that piece of structure, uh, and then as soon as I start making a few casts and, and I, you know, my bait hits either the hard place or or where I feel like the the key spot is the sweet spot of the structure, you know, I'll get a line up on the bank and uh, you know line up like two trees or or whatever two landmarks on the bank to use in relation to my my marker buoy uh, where I can make the same cast you know repeatedly. Sure. And, you know, kind of switching gears now to away from more or less the locations and the type of structure, what about baits? You know, what are kind of your go-to style of baits whenever you're talking about deep cranking? My go-to bait is a fat-free shad, either number six or number seven, depending upon how deep I want it to crank. More times than not, I'm throwing the big number seven fat-free in either a foxy shad color uh, or a, a chartreuse root beer. Those are my main two. I'll also throw a citrus shad some, but I like, you know, basically have your, your real natural shad color like the foxy shad and then one real bright one, the, the chartreuse root beer tied on to kind of, you know, after I work a school over and, and, you know, catch. I generally start out with the foxy shad this time of year because the, the fish are feeding so heavily upon shad. Uh, and then after they kind of slow down a little bit, then I'll, I'll change it up to a real bright color to, to try to trigger, you know, some additional strikes. And then whenever you're, you know, retrieving or reeling in your bait, are you, are you wanting the, the crankbait to get down and make contact with, per se, the, the bottom or the top Absolutely. of the structure? Absolutely. I'm wanting to make bottom contact and, you know, get ricochets. I want my bait to deflect off the cover because a lot of your bites are going to come when that bait makes that sudden erratic jerk where it hits the bottom or the, you know, the top of a stump or something like that. Generally, the, this time of year, the, the, the best areas are going to be a hard bottom area. One of the things I like to say is that fish uh, live in wood and feed on rock. And, and that's what they generally do on offshore ledges here. They're going to, you know, when you hit a brush pile, you're just going it's going to be two or three or a small group of fish. Mainly that's where they live. But, but those areas that fish, the schools, you know, really feed heavily are going to be a real hard bottom area like shell beds or, or a little cluster of chunk rock. Tennessee River, you know, and most of the, the man-made reservoirs that I've finished, little areas of shells are, are so key, and that's what I look for is the hard-bottom area. So when I start feeling my crankbait lip hitting those hard spots, then I know I'm in the right area. So is, is it basically, is it maximum depth of those crankbaits about the 14-foot level, would you say? 
14 to 15 on, on 10 pound uh, 10 pound line. And and then are you throwing that on fluorocarbon? Yes, I'm throwing on 10 pound gamma fluorocarbon. You have a lot less stretch with that, and it gets your bait a little deeper. I want to get that big profile and a little bit shallower, then I'll go up to 16 pound to keep it from diving quite as deep. You know, and the baits that you're speaking of, they're they're pretty long in stature, right? I mean, it's not like you're throwing these, uh, you know, these smaller, like a square bill, let's say. I mean, you know, they've they've actually got some mass to them. They are. They're, you know, that's roughly a, a three and a half to four inch bait, cutting the lips. It's a big profile bait. Uh, this time of year with the high water temperature, you know, the fish, their metabolism is pretty high so that, you know, they're looking for the bigger males. You know, and one of the things, too, Jimmy, that I've noticed, you know, it, it can be a real workout to, to chuck those, <laughs> those big baits all day <laughs> long. But one of the things that I've learned is covering water and making those long casts because you never know exactly until after you've made some casts and done some of that searching like you speak of where those fish are going to be. So it's imperative you know, that you, you get out there and you make as long of casts as what you can, but you're talking about wearing your arm out. It is. I mean, it, it's one of those deals where at the end of the day, you need to be sore uh, just because, I mean, that tells you that you fished like you should have. And, that, you know, because you're, like I said, you're taking a heavy bait and, and throwing it as hard as you can. And, and plus, that bait is putting a lot of pull on you as you're retrieving it. So right. it, it does work you. Well, and it, and it kind of comes down to, too, you better have a, a, a decent reel to be able to, to throw those on. Now, do you kind of buy into the school of thought that you have to change your gear ratio and, you know, and stuff like that? Talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of terminal tackle specific to the reel that you're using. I do believe in a 5-to-1 reel for, for cranking. I use a 5-to-1 Arden XS1000, uh, which is a really, really smooth casting reel. You can make some extremely long casts with that further than any other reel I've ever used. And the 5-to-1 takes in about 21 inches of line per crank. And that, to me, that's the right speed. Your bait ha- is working a little freer with that uh, versus when you when you got a high-speed reel trying to work well with big baits. If you watch them in a swimming pool, you can definitely tell an action difference between those plugs versus a high-speed reel versus a low-speed. The low-speed has a lot more relaxed kind of more side-to-side wiggle. So I'm a big believer in the 5-to-1. Also, I use an 8-foot Kistler spec and red rod, which is a, a light saltwater rod, but it's it's got the perfect action for deep cranking. It's stiff enough to handle a real big plug, but it's also got a really good parabolic action for fighting fish on that. And that 8-foot length, you can make some extremely long casts when you pair it up with an ardent reel. Yeah, well, and not only that, but, you know, you think about when you're, you're making such long casts as the ardents do, uh, you got to have something there that can, you know, can handle the fish without yanking the hooks out of its mouth. Absolutely, and and that's where you know your whole combination of of the line, you know, the uh, low stretch of the fluorocarbon, the low stretch of the gamma fluorocarbon, the long rod, and the reel. You know, it's a whole system with that. Are there anything nuances or little things that you do prior to making your first cast with a you know, the baits, once you take them off the shelf, are there, are there things that you do to kind of tweak them? Not all of them. Uh, now, I do fish probably a third of the fat-free sheds that I fish, uh, in which I'll always have one tied on. But I, I generally start out with one straight out of package. You know, they come with, with TX3 hooks, which are extremely sharp hooks. So generally, they're ready to go out of package. But about a third of the ones I throw, I'll actually take to a belt sander and do some modifications to them to give them a different action that gives it more of a rolling action, takes away that in action. A lot of times when you work a school over uh, and really catch several out of them, you can go to a little more subtle bait, you know, just like I was talking about earlier about changing colors. You can go to a different action fat-free and, uh, and you know, kind of get them re back up and a few more key bites out of a school. 
Uh, and what I do is take them on a belt sander and kind of sand off the corners of the lip. Uh, Fat-free shad, if you look at its lip, it's got hard corners right where the lip goes from the rounded part to the straight edge coming off of the bait. So you can you know, definitely take the hooks off. Uh, you don't want to be sanding with the hooks on. And you can kind of ease those corners off and do it just like you sharpen a lawnmower blade. You know, just uh, make sure you do the same amount off each side where you keep your the balance of the plug. And that gives it a more gentle rolling action, kind of takes away the X in it and makes it, makes it a different bait. So, you know, once you start working over a school, you can keep them biting by changing your angles of age, changing your colors, uh, you know, just doing different things. Because generally this, this time of year, the size of schools are a lot larger than you realize. And, you know, by changing the angles of your cast and, and giving the fish a different look of a bait, you can keep the action going a lot longer. Well, and, and kind of in our last closing 30 seconds here, Jimmy, you know, I, I think you bring up a good point. It's how often do we leave uh, kind of a school because of, we think that we've caught, you know, all the fish out of there? Absolutely. I will refish the same areas a number of times during the day, especially if I lose a fish or two, or if you're in a tournament situation where you're making some coals, a lot of times the action will kind of slow down. and You definitely haven't caught them all, so you just have to kind of manage your areas and rotate like two or three or four areas throughout the, throughout the, you know, the day and give those fish time to, you know, kind of relax and, and uh, group back up on the structure, and then you can come back and fish them again, and, and uh, it'll be just like you never left. Well, speaking of leaving, unfortunately, Jimmy, we do have to get out of here, but uh, before we do, any closing thoughts or comments? Well, like I said, you know, this is a this is a technique. It will work you, but the rewards are definitely worth it. Uh, it's something to get out and, and really spend some time learning, and, and just like you said earlier, this you know, you definitely will catch a better quality of fish than the guys who are beating the banks this time of year, so it's, the rewards are definitely worth it. Jimmy, thanks so much uh, for being part of the Edge, and if, by all means, if any of our listeners have a question, uh, certainly go to prostaff at BassEdge.com or ask the pro section there at BassEdge.com, and we'll get those questions sent out to you. In the meantime, Jimmy, best of luck in your upcoming uh, remaining tournaments, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future on the Edge. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Aaron, Jimmy's comments were just perfect for this time of year. Well, exactly, and you know, the funny thing is that he was just literally putting his boat on the trailer from doing the very thing of which we were talking about, and that is deep cranking in summertime, so the information really doesn't get any more real-time than that. Well, you know, and it just took me back to my days in Texas, the lake I fished the most down there. I had a hump, and I tell you what, if you had the patience to sit there all day, at some point those fish would come in there and you would catch yourself some quality fish. It's very important to understand, go back and visit these good spots because the fish do move in and out. Well, exactly, and that's that's precisely what Jimmy had described. You know, his theory is that, uh, you know, when we're talking about these humps and these ledges, and I pose the question, you know, when you talk about structure, what are you referencing? Are you referencing wood, rocks, so on and so forth? And mainly the, the type of structure that he is referring to of revisiting, he believes that fish live on wood. So if, if the hump or the the area has wood, they're going to be there. There's going to be a few resident fish that stay there the entire time. But some of these more barren uh, ledges and humps, those are more ambush areas to where the fish come up out of the deeper water, let's say in this case, you know, out of the river channel, move directly up on there. They are schooled big time. So whenever they move up and actually start feeding, uh, that is the time. You never know exactly when that's going to be. So that is why it is so important to make sure, like you said, to go back 
check these throughout different times of the day. If you have a cloud cover change, you know, sky conditions, those type of things, go back and see if you can't pinpoint and entice those fish into biting. You know, I really liked his comments, too, about uh, testing his baits in the swimming pool. I'm going to have to talk to my wife. I think we need a swimming pool. <laughs> exactly. We need a swimming pool for more reasons than one other than just to keep us cool. But, you know, we brought that up before on the edge, and we, we've kind of get some snickers just like you and I are doing right now. But I think that it, it brings such a different light to what the baits are doing. You know, uh, the renowned Rick Clun always talks about, you know, understanding what that bait is doing in the water. And what a great way to do that because a lot of times, you know, when you're on a reservoir, even if it's clear water, you cannot see what that bait is doing. In a swimming pool, you know, you've got the bright sides on that. The water obviously is crystal clear. Uh, you can see exactly how that bait is going to react. And that's really what uh, put him over the edge kind of on selecting that five to one gear ratio of knowing what that bait is doing because it, it does change the action. Man, all great stuff. Well, look, Aaron, we need to take another quick break. And on the other side, we'll be talking to Cody for this week's Inside Edge. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Inside Edge. And joining us live from Iraq in service is Major Cody Robertson of the Army Bass Anglers. Cody, uh, thanks so much for being part of the Edge. Hey, thanks, Aaron. It's, uh, it's glad to be back. Uh, really glad to be back. I appreciate you guys having me on again. Well, absolutely. And I know the last time you know that we spoke, you were literally, uh, I think, sitting in an airport getting ready to head over to another deployment. Of course, um, you're basically there right now and and uh good thing is thankfully uh through the national security system we were able to patch through to to be able to do this interview but it's kind of proper to have this interview on independence day weekend and first off let us just start by saying to you and then also obviously all of our servicemen and women that's out there thank you so much uh for your service uh to this country well, thanks, Aaron. Uh, we appreciate it. It's an, always an honor to serve, and uh, I'm just glad that we get to be on the show uh, during the Fourth of July weekend. That's going to be pretty neat. Yeah, it really is. And you know, I, I think one of the things that um, you know that the Army Bass Anglers kind of brings to light is the fact that now more than ever, uh, your mission and, and kind of the values that that your organization represents is so important. But before we kind of get into that, perhaps you could just give our listeners a, a brief description for those that maybe are not familiar with Army Bass Anglers. Okay, yeah, that's too easy. Uh, just a reminder for everybody out there and those that are new listeners, uh, Army Bass Anglers is a uh, all-professional soldier uh, fishing team, if you will, that uh, has a mission statement of support defend fish. And uh, the support piece being uh, when we're not fishing tournament circuits, we're out there raising awareness uh, for those soldier uh, groups, uh, specifically returning heroes home and fishing for freedom, uh, raising awareness, funds, products, activities, etc. And then the defend piece being literal. Uh, we have 12 guys on the team. Uh, out of those 12, currently three are currently deployed to theater, myself in Iraq, and then uh, you've got 
Jared Shelton is currently in Kuwait staging, and then you've also got Mike Garrett as well uh, conducting uh, staging operations down there as well. And then the fish piece being is uh, when we're not doing the support piece and defending our country, uh, we're fishing the tournament circuits and continuing to raise awareness uh, for soldier groups out there like Returning Heroes Home, Fishing for Freedom at Belton and at Choke Canyon, and uh, that's kind of the gist of our mission statement. Can you just briefly touch on, you know, the Returning Heroes Home aspect? Sure. Uh, Returning Heroes Home, uh, without getting into the weeds on it, it's a 12,500-square-foot facility being built on the uh, Brook Army Medical Center campus in San Antonio, Texas. And the whole point behind the Warrior and Family Support Center is to create a location where soldiers that are currently under care from the war on terror have a place where they can go through the entire rehabilitative process without basically being out in the public's eye or in the public's view. And kind of like we talked about on the last show, uh, when you're going through that whole therapeutic process, you're not only going through it physically and and emotionally, but you're also going through it on the whole mental aspect side of the house. And when you're out in the public, not that people are vindictive or vicious, but they tend to stare a little bit and they tend to look a little bit longer and, uh, they need protection from that because some of these guys have some severe wounds, some severe scarring, uh, stuff like that. And and they're going through that whole emotional and mental rehabilitative process. And they need to do that in the comfort and care of a place where they feel secure and they can be surrounded by family members and loved ones and and people that are going to take care of them. And that's what that place is going to offer them. Sure. And, you know, also, Cody, along that that same note, can you – Obviously, within the parameters that that you have the ability, because obviously we are we are at war. I mean, and and you are there right now. But for civilians, for us, could you maybe give us a, a description of of what uh, the conditions are like there for for you guys? Well, you know, I don't I don't want anybody out there to think that uh, this deployment for me is completely different than the deployment uh, in the YF one where I was a ground commander during the invasion. So coming back to Iraq for a second time is a completely different Iraq. And living conditions are dependent on where you're at, as uh, can be from one end of the spectrum to the other. I'll tell you, the soldiers that are out there serving at the JSSs, the cops, the FOBs, uh, have it a lot harder than when I got it here in a major camp. And uh, even though I'm here in a camp, uh, the temperatures range from about 120 to 124 uh, we're living in conics, steel conexes, which I guess the best way I can describe it is if, you, if you're if you at uh, a railroad crossing and you see those giant rail cars coming across, you see those big old conexes that are on the back of them, that's pretty much what we're living in. Uh, so it protects us, provides an additional force protection for us uh, from fragmentation-type activities as far as like bombs, mortars, rockets, etc. Then you've got uh, 18-foot concrete uh, T-barriers surrounding those facilities so and then everybody's walking around strapped like it's uh you know with their weapons and stuff for force protection so it's kind of like the wild west a little bit but uh those guys that are out there really doing the job on the ground uh their conditions aren't are not nearly as good as ours as far as uh you know just overall creature comforts go but uh it's definitely a different uh theater than it was the first time i was here Sure, and um, obviously you might not be able to comment on this, but hopefully that is is to the good. When you think of, as a civilian, I don't think we can really relate to, it's probably one of those things that you have to experience to really understand what is coming, the words out of your mouth, I guess. But do you guys receive breaks, and uh, is there any 
you know, normalcies at all um, to your daily lives? Well, um, yeah, I mean, we get breaks, but you got to remember it's a continuous operation. So we're constantly set up on a 24-hour period. So we we work in shifts. So uh, I, I work right now anywhere from a 10 to a 12-hour shift. Uh, I have a second shift that comes in behind me that I manage. But uh, we'll work seven days a week, and I typically get one day off every five weeks. Uh, on Sundays, I get uh, six hours off. But mind you, that doesn't mean that the operations have stopped. We have other shifts that constantly cover down so that we can maintain 24-hour operational awareness uh, the entire operation. Well, but, yeah, we do get some time off, I guess, is the short, <laughs> is the short end of the stick. The reality of that, I would think that really mentally – there, there is no time off because, like you said, it's a 24-hour operation, 365 days a year right now, presently, and mentally, it's got to be hard to escape from the fact that you're in a different country and uh, basically at battle. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, uh, you definitely take your work back with you to your hooch. I mean, you're constantly thinking about the next day's operation. You're always looking 24, 72. You know, you're always looking out into the future and trying to anticipate things as they come down the pipe. But, uh, yeah, and then you throw in the factors that you miss your family, uh, you miss your kids, you miss your friends. You know, things are going on at home, and, and you're wishing you could be there. I'll give you a great example. All the guys were at the Skeeter Owners Tournament this weekend, a huge event. They had a great time, and it makes it hard to focus when, you, you know, your family. My family was at a family reunion, so I had two events going on at the same time while I'm also, you know, manning and watching over an operation, and so it makes it tough. Sure. Do you have, obviously, I know, you know, you love, absolutely love to bass fish. Um, a, I guess the, the appropriate question would be, is there even any bass in Iraq? Uh, there's not bass, but there's a, a lot of carp. Uh, there's a lot, of, well, there's about six different species of carp uh, that we've been able to identify up here and uh, the palaces and the ponds up here. Uh, there's also asp. We've noticed uh, an eel or two in there. We haven't quite figured out what type of eel it is. But the asp fish has kind of proved to be a lot like the bass. It tends to be the predator of the water, uh, you know, constantly cruising, looking for forage. It's willing to strike. So, you know, we found something that's, you know, fish-worthy. At least we got to work for it, that's for sure. And I, and I keep trying. I haven't had any luck yet, but several of my friends have, so. So, you so we have a place to go. Opportunity to to make a cast or two, even though it's it's not bass. You at least get to kind of keep the fundamentals going. Oh yeah, we've had some great sponsors send some stuff over. Castaway sent over a Voyager rod, so I was able to put that sucker together and get out on the water and make some casts on my whopping six hours that I get off. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, you know, and it was fun. I had to tell you that being away, you you realize what what how small small things like that mean to you just being able to get out on the water and take a break and make a few casts. Well, Cody, um, you know, I've got to tell you, I mean, as much as what I would love to sit on here and, and continue this interview, I know your schedule does not permit, but just for our listeners, I mean, is there a way to contact you or through the army bass anglers, find out more about the organization? Uh, do you have a website or anything? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, anybody that's interested in, you know, either getting involved with returning heroes home or being a volunteer at one of the fishing for freedom events, or heck, if you just want to talk to me, I'd love to hear from anybody. You can go to www.armybassanglers.com and there's a link on every single page. It says contact us. 
Uh, the administrator will forward that message on to me. And if you got questions, I'll be happy to answer them. If you want to get involved, I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Most importantly, thank you so much for your service. Just know, and please pass this on uh, to the the rest of those that are over there, that you are definitely in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, you guys be safe. Uh, thanks again for giving us another reason to be able to celebrate this holiday weekend. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again very soon within the states perhaps on Bass Edge. We'll do Aaron. Thanks a lot and uh climb the glory, huh? When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space in my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's Tackle System by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. Welcome back to The Edge. 120 degrees. My goodness, what a, what a sacrifice our men and women are making over in Iraq. Yeah, you know, um, earlier we were joking about the humidity and that that we've experienced here within the States, which compares nothing not only to the temperature, but also just the conditions and the sacrifices that they're making. So thanks to, you know, all of our active duty and also all of our veterans for just being able to watch the fireworks and really have, a, uh, in my opinion, a, a truer understanding of what those fireworks represent. Well, that's right. And as we celebrated our freedom, I mean, it was just very important to reflect back on all the sacrifices that that uh, our folks are making in Iraq and Afghanistan, and then all the sacrifices that have been made in the past. Uh, just uh, want to thank our veterans and our folks in, in uniform today. No question. Thank you. Well, Aaron, we've got a giveaway winner this week. It's Larry from Pearland, Texas. Yeah, and, uh, you know, congratulations out to Larry. Uh, he sent in a question. Um, and was actually drawn and selected as the giveaway. So not only did he get his question answered by uh, one of the Bass Edge Pro staff, um, but also will receive a copy of Dr. Jay McNamara's book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing, and a Bass Edge decal. And I know, Steve, that uh, you and I both uh, read that book cover to cover. Uh, twice on my account. I love Jay's book, and uh, Larry's going to have a good time with that. You know, and, and speaking of books, uh, Steve, from what I've got to see, only a few pages, but I understand you're coming out with a book. Well, I am. I'm very excited about that. We're going to uh, try to get that uh, to press here in the next couple of weeks, and it should be available in September. And it's called Somebody's Got to Do It. Uh, and it's just a collection of things I've written over the last 20 years. A lot of hunting and fishing. Uh, I hope, uh, I think the anglers and the hunters will, will enjoy some of these stories. Well, you know, I think it's such a fitting title, Somebody's Got to Do It. But, uh, you know, from what I've read, I can tell you from the from the trips to your, your fly fishing excursion in Alaska to your dog sledding trip, uh, you know, to over to Africa. I mean, there's just such a variety there, you know, and just reading in the style that only you can deliver, you know, you you paint the picture both visually and literally to where I feel like I'm on that excursion with you. Well, I appreciate that. And I'll tell you what, I've had a lot of fun going back through it, sort of reliving the memories. And then just, you know, really more than the places or, or the people, you just meet so many great folks uh, along the way in, in my business. And, and I'm very, very uh, thankful to have been able to uh, uh, 
uh, had the career I've had thus far, and continue to look forward to great things at Bass Edge. Well, and, and we look forward to hearing more about that. I know uh, Bass Edge is excited because I think they're uh, jointly uh, entering into that publishing project uh, with you, and I know, uh, matter of fact, I think from what the schedule that I saw, I think you're already booked for a, a few book uh, signing tours, and, and the popularity of that is obviously uh, taken off very dramatically. So we'll get you back on here because I can't wait uh, until that comes fresh off the press. Well, I'm excited, and hopefully a few people will buy that. I need the money for gas so I can go fishing. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So you can do more of it. Well, before we get away here, Aaron, I just want to uh, remind everybody to send their questions in to Ask the Pro section on BassEdge.com. Uh, they'll be answered on the website, the newsletter, or here on the podcast. Yeah, and you know we we've seen a, a lot of those, and uh, this week's winner was a perfect example of that. You can not only get your question answered, but win something as well. So, well, Aaron, it looks like we uh, finally got a break here, and in, in uh, you and I here in the Ozarks, we got a break in the weather. Uh, you gonna you gonna get out any here in the next week? You know, I, I would like to. Um, that's kind of yet to be determined, but I can tell you uh, I am pretty excited because one thing we do have on our schedule is uh, Guido Hibden will be with us next week So um, here on the podcast. So you never know, though. You know, it's night fishing, and uh, it's pretty easy to slip out of an evening and just put the boat on the water and go out and uh, and see the stars and try and catch some big bass. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about putting my dog in the car today and go down here and see if uh, the river's come down at all. Well, anyway, we got to run, but... Uh... Aaron, it's good being with you, my friend. Absolutely. Look forward to it, and we'll see you somewhere north of the Mason-Dixon line. Okay, and we'll see all you folks next week on The Edge. Bass Edge would like to thank the following sponsors who make the Edge audio program possible. Ditch Witch, Mother's Waxes and Polishes, V&W Trailer Hitches, Megaware Keel Guard, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Ardent, Rule the Water, Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Superstar Batteries, and the Clarks Hill Partnership of Georgia. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com. Be sure to join us next week on The Edge.